So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at retirements, we'll be looking at concussions, we'll get San Diego, we'll be looking at Johnny Manziel, and we're going to be looking at the Pro Bowl. And then of course we're going to take some questions from you, the listener, and then get on to the main thing that everyone cares about this week. It's Super Bowl week! So hey guys, uh, I've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Hi. And we've also got Ronan Dylan in from Cork. Hello. So how are we getting on, lads? Yeah. Fine, I guess. All excited for Super Bowl week? It's just not the same without us. It's not going to be yeah. not going to be last year's Super Bowl, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not going to be last year's <laughs> Super Bowl, but you know, in this case I care a little bit more about some of the teams that are in it. <laughs> oh, I suppose, is it the exact same for you, Ronan? Yeah, like, obviously it's kind of less tense, but like, it's, a, it's an interesting matchup, and then obviously, you know... Epic Pro Bowl action just gone by, so I'm still hyped up from that, but, you know, oh, yeah, looking yeah. forward to what should be, you know, nearly a good game. You know? Nearly as good. Yeah, I, I haven't calmed down. That Pro Bowl was something else. Can't wait to get chatting about that. <laughs> Fuck off. Harry is so excited to discuss Pro Bowl later. It's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. with the erection this week. Yeah. Harry has agreed that if he could just watch two Pro Bowl games a year, he would stop supporting the pa- uh, the Patriots. That is, that is slander. Ah. <laughs> uh, We'll see. I'm glad I get to control against <laughs> Cotton. He'll we'll probably see. make that agreement with Tom Brady and Belichick. Belichick yeah, the Patriots. Uh, ah, Patriots never go to Pro Bowls anyway. Yeah. They will whenever us. they stop getting to the playoffs. Oh, so. <laughs> about the time Tom Brady retires then, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I suppose we'll kick off with some of the news because we've got a lot to chat about later on in the podcast. So um, the first thing we're going to chat about is a couple of retirements that have been uh, announced. Two in particular kind of big name ones this week uh, and rumours of a few more that we'll probably chat about later on. Uh, you can probably guess who one or two of those are. Uh, Justin Tuck, uh, primarily of the Giants but recently of the Raiders, has announced his retirement. He was a defensive end who spent 11 seasons in the NFL, uh, nine with the Giants, two with Oakland. He has two Super Bowls. He's unfortunately injured for most of this year. He had a pectoral tear, so he missed most of this season for the Oakland Raiders. But from all reports, um, he was a great guy, great charity worker. I think he was up to the, he was a finalist for like the the Man of the Year award this year, or he was a nominee for it or something. Big leader, big mentor to the younger players and that kind of stuff. And obviously, leaving 30, 32, I think he is. So like kind of early enough, but for a defensive end, kind of 11 seasons is a lot. Um... So this big one, is this a big loss to Oakland or was it kind of an inevitability this chap was going to be retiring? Yeah, I think it was kind of, you know, Tuck was one of the sort of veterans they brought in as a kind of a stopgap measure when they were rebuilding the team. And, you know, in, in a way it's fortunate for them that he was injured. Obviously not and says it's never good to have a player injured and you want a guy, but, you know, they've had time without him uh, to adapt the defense and work. So it's not as if they're suddenly going to be losing a, a key piece, although they certainly are losing, like you say, uh, the experience of the guy and a guy who has been a leader on the field and a guy who's been a mentor to some of the very talented younger players we're seeing now on that uh, on that Oakland team. Uh, I, I think they'll be hoping now that they'll probably look to shuffle around what they're doing with Khalil Mack and then obviously Alden Smith coming back whenever he comes back. Yeah. Uh, to see how sort of restructured around him, but it's not a huge, yeah, it's not a huge physical loss, but it's about losing the experience and the leadership for Oakland. That's where the kind of the blow comes. No, of course, of course, and obviously this this would strike me as the kind of scenario where he might go back for a day long contract with the Giants to retire. Although from what I gather, they, they didn't exactly end on the greatest of terms. I believe he called the offer they made for him to stay with the Giants a joke, and that was why he left to go to the to the Raiders. I think gave him about eleven million for two years. Um, like, Fitz, do you see this as being a happy reunion at the end, or is this a kind of spot where there'll still be a bad taste in the mouth and he might not go back to the Giants for their lovely retirement ceremony? 
I think it'll be up to him. Like, I think if, if he if he's up for it, then teams are generally more than happy to facilitate that kind of thing. I don't think the the, the front office there will uh, have too many grudges about it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think, like, hopefully he'll have that chance. And, you know, like, he had, like, rather like the Giants over his time there. He did up and down seasons. But, you know, he is the only player who ever had multiple sacks in, more, in two Super Bowls. Yeah. So he had a good career. And as you said, very, like, good longevity for his position. So... You know he'll probably get into like the like the hall like Ring of Fame or Hall of whatever fame for the Giants. Yeah. Uh, but probably not good enough to probably be considered among the best, I suppose. Uh, Ten years from now. No, of course, of course. But no, it's good chap. Nice to see him have a good career. And nice to see him go out in his own terms rather than it be just because he's injured and no one wants him anymore. Um, <laughs> speaking of other chap going out in his own terms, Calvin Johnson, wide receiver for the Lions. This isn't 100% official. This is just reported by absolutely every single news source uh, in the world at the moment that he is planning to leave. Uh, so Calvin Johnson, everyone knows him, one of the best receivers in the game. Six-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team first All-Pro, uh, two-times NFL receiving yards leader, holds a single-season record, 19,064 yards, fastest ever to reach uh, 10,000 yards. Um, like, he's a very good wide receiver, uh, to put it very, very understatedly. Um, he hasn't exactly had the world's greatest career with the Lions because they were the Lions. They've... Made it to the postseason twice. Both times I've just gone out in the wildcard round. He's sat there through an 0-16 season with them, which is a rarity and, and a horror show. And also, when he was drafted in 2007, he was drafted behind Jamarcus Russell. Good shout there, Raiders. Um, but yeah, so he's got four years left on his contract. He's owed $68 million, so that's nearly $17 million a year. So he's clearly not... You know, in it for the money, he's kind of decided that he feels it's time to step away. Do we believe him? Do we think this is actually wanting to step away? Yeah, like, uh, uh, like from my perspective, it, it does seem genuine. Like, there's no reason that he needs to walk away. There's still plenty of money left on the table, and like from all accounts, like we've pretty like like pretty much every year we've heard about the knocks and the like, basically kind of deterioration that we're seeing. In his body, we've seen it in his production, but it seems to be affecting him physically. Like when Calvin Johnson was at his peak, he was like a transcendental player. He was simply uncoverable. But over the last couple of years, we've seen him slow down. We've seen him like go, to, like basically lose that edge that brought him from being like the best, like an MVP kind of player to like a Pro Bowl kind of player. So I think like I think he he could probably keep playing, but. I think from his perspective, there's no reason to keep doing it. And I think his his legacy is secure because those numbers, irrespective of whether, you know, there'll be arguments over longevity or stuff, those numbers are probably sufficient to mean that he'll be going to the Hall of Fame either way. Possibly. Now, there's chats about the management in uh, in Detroit trying to offer him kind of a fit-style deal where they cut down the years on it, they cut the money a little bit, but they give it all guaranteed, so he's got that there. Do we think that might be something he might be looking at, or possibly even to have that with the with the ability of them being able to be traded to a contender, or you know, a team that's not the Detroit Lions for a while? Yeah, isn't this isn't this where uh, the Patriots tend to step in, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a difficult, because obviously the Fitzgerald situation, while it's certainly benefited Arizona on the field, has also caused cap problems and sort of shortening everything and guaranteeing everything is the sort of thing that's probably going to end up giving the Lions, who have been recently anyway, quite poor at cap management, more problems. So I don't know if it's necessarily the 
something they'll necessarily want to go want to go through with on balance. Considering that, yeah, Calvin Johnson like, is only thirty, which isn't ancient, although it's old enough for a wide receiver. As Roland's saying, has been physically in decline. Like I can't remember the last time he was attended a full practice week. Like, yeah, he's been. They basically had him wrapped in cotton wool for the last two years. So at that point, if you're Detroit, I think basically when he's like, yeah, I genuinely want to retire. I'm genuinely looking to get out of the game, as we, we believe he is. At that point, for Detroit, the best thing to do rather than to just chuck money at the guy to try and get him to stay and potentially put themselves in a situation where they're struggling to free up cap space to fix the many other areas of their team that are causing them problems, the best thing to do might be just to let him go, whether that be retirement or if they find a way to you know trade him um, for whatever. Because they could probably, even though he's on the downside and even though he's you know considering retirement, if he decides to stay, you can still get reasonably decent return for trading oh, yeah. well, I think, Johnson. I think that's one of the discussion points of it is that they reckon that they'd need to restructure that contract for people to be able to take it on. Like, he's locked in. It's a four-year, nearly $70 million contract that's left over. So that's a big hit. And that's the thing, in terms of cap hit, he's going to hit them for about $16 million if he retires. Uh, there, was, there was an interesting... Shady uh, on, online theory about this as well, which is quite interesting. Of uh, he doesn't think that they're going to let him go; that uh, they'll hold him to the contract because he's in the contract, obviously. So if he retires, if he then comes back, he hits them immediately as an in-contract player. They have, I think, twenty-four or forty-eight hours to free up the space for him. Or as he's the most recent player back on the books, his contract gets voided and he's a free agent again. Mm. So essentially, that's. He retires until two weeks into the season, comes back. They do not have $16 million, which would be the cap hit for that year. He gets his contract voided, and he's a free agent to go where he wants. Although, like, talk about leaving somewhere with a filthy taste in their mouth after you dealt with them. Like, that would be... Like, it would be amazing. I would love that to happen. But I don't know if it's in any way plausible. <laughs> yeah. Like, how, how, how much do you think... Belichick has been texting him because that's a real <laughs> Belichick move like ah now now uh, we've never been found guilty of tampering yes you have <laughs> several times <laughs> so all over now sleep sleep <laughs> it is when we are at our lowest that we must cheat our very hardest yeah. <laughs> like, every, every, everyone, everybody tampers it's, it's the done thing that's yeah that's Keep telling yourself that. Well, yeah, <laughs> except for Russell Okun, who goes out of its way to ensure no one can tamper with him. Uh, you could want to explain that. So, last week, Russell Okun, who's the uh, Seahawks uh, left tackle, who's representing himself, who's foregone have an agent, decided that he would send an email to every team in the league telling them that he was getting shoulder uh, surgery. Uh, but like, because he's not an agent... That effectively means that every single team that got that email had to send the Seahawks an email saying that they had got the email to ensure that the tampering rules weren't uh, <laughs> weren't activated. So yeah, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Your boy's a fucking moron. No, Chris. that's brilliant. Like that is such a troll move. Being like, yeah, making every other team email the Seahawks. Being, oh, that's really funny. Like, so, like, it sounds exactly like that crap in draft day where it's like, oh, this this one kid, he sent back the $100. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That film was terrible. Well, it wasn't terrible. It was made no sense. But, uh, yeah. Second oh. draft, second round draft picks are worth nothing. Yes, apparently nothing. apparently they are worth absolutely nothing. Also, drafting someone who'd be available at the in the 18th pick with your first overall pick is the smart idea. Hey, 
reasonable simulation of Cleveland's draft strategy. That's true, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, they'll be chat about that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we're going to have a quick look at is uh, the reports from the NFL about concussion numbers that come back for this season. So concussions during the regular season are up 58%. Uh, overall, I think it's nearly 40% they're up for the season. And... Uh, yeah, so essentially it's just the number of concussions reported and dealt with have increased this year. Positive in one respect because it means they're being identified and they're being dealt with, but also bad in the fact that there's a, a sizable increase in the number. Now, the question is obviously, is this more hits? Is this the game being played dangerously? Or is it just that it's being better diagnosed and being identified quicker? So obviously the league wants us to believe it's a second, that they're just better at now identifying it. Uh, like, I suppose I'll start with you on this one, Harry. Do you buy that this is them keeping an eye out for it more or do you think it's that these are happening more often that you're playing a more aggressive game yeah I, I, to be honest with you as much as you know it's great to go after the league for its failures on the issue of concussions I genuinely think this is more indicative of the former than the latter um, I think even if, if, you, if you look at the game I don't think there's anything about it that's become more violent or seeing more of these helmet to helmet incidents or more of the sub-concussive hits on the line I think the game is still being played mostly the way it was there are now some rules that make it a little bit harder for players to do that players are generally using higher quality equipment than they have in the past which obviously has less of an impact on the sub-concussive issue but does to some extent mitigate against major concussions what we're seeing now is we're seeing detection at a, at a level, and that's good. But for me, is the concern is that we're not necessarily seeing steps being made to actually prevent that happening. Mm. We now we have an idea that this is a problem. The NFL and fair play to them for doing this part, if nothing else, instituted better testing, more rigorous testing, made players go through the protocol, player rather than players just being left out there. And obviously thanks, Will Smith. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, <laughs> it's all down to Will Smith. Uh, so we're seeing that aspect, which is good. We're seeing the detection happen now. What needs to follow up on this is is the treatment. How do they, A, make sure those players are dealt with properly, and B, um, try and actually prevent this happening in the future in a meaningful way, especially recently, obviously, with the, uh, Tyler Sash's suicide and his body being then sort of autopsied and being discovered that he had CT. He was, he was I think he was 27? Yeah. Uh, former Giants, uh, Giants defensive player uh, who, uh, I think, died of a, a pill overdose and went through... It was behavioural changes after he left the league and all this stuff happening. So it's, it's pretty clear that this is something that does need to actually be followed up on. Unless we see the league following through on what's happening, we're going to see a lot more of these stories coming out about players who've retired, you know, ending up basically losing their minds to an extent and ultimately often tragically killing themselves or dying accidentally as an indirect or direct result of this. So yeah. what do you do with that information is the question for the league. Yeah, of course. Like Obviously, that's the next element. There have been some new developments. There's a new type of helmet that's been developed uh, that the the NFL are now backing. The, the problem is, yes, it will, it will be significantly helpful for stopping concussions at the NFL level because they can afford to do it. These helmets cost somewhere in the region of about $1,500 each. They are significantly better at stopping concussions, but like, there's no way someone who's playing at the age of 15 has a helmet that costs that much, so you're not going to be able to stop at the lower levels. But so this is the question, running on this. There's lots of proposals for this. Like, is it kind of institute better, kind of almost rugby tackling style rules of more direct, like this is the only acceptable area to hit someone? Like, there's a lot of chat about removing helmets just in general, that they themselves are what's causing it because that's essentially a battering ram on your head people are more likely to launch with it than they are if they weren't to have them covered um 
obviously some people say increased punishment for dodgy tackles. The one that we mentioned beforehand was nullifying plays where the play is achieved through someone getting knocked out. The prime example being the hit uh, on Antonio Brown uh, and sorry, on and the running back in the playoff game earlier. Like, what do you reckon, Fitz? What would be the what would be the next steps for kind of dealing with this? Yeah, well, the solutions you're putting forward there are probably the most radical. Like, the least radical is probably the turning into almost like a reverse uh, pass interference that it like it nullifies the player or something like that, or like that you get the play pulled you back from that. Like, I think it's a very difficult one to to do because, like, part of the appeal of the NFL is that physicality, is that kind of sense. Like, every time you, you get the whoosh and you can hear it from the TV, that that's part of why you want it. It's kind of the same reason that people watch motorsport. Like, oftentimes it's for the crash. No, it's just because so, I fucking love circles and cars. <laughs> <laughs> do you like NASCAR running? Save us here. One of us has to. <laughs> so like you know there's obviously a tension between what's good commercially and what's good for the safety of the players i think for now the best thing is probably something like you know harsher penalties on on the on the pitch like if you make it if you if you make it less likely to score by doing these type of hits that's probably the easiest way to get these people to stop doing them so like from from that perspective it's probably the easiest simplest way but long term looking at these like fancy helmets which could end up exacerbating it for the very reason that we're talking about now, uh, assuming that they're not 100% effective, or getting rid of helmets altogether, they're kind of two, two sides of the same coin. Like These are probably things that the NFL will continue to look at. And I think you make a very valid point that like the problem isn't just at the NFL players. It's like Studies continuously show that playing, even at the high school level, is having a significant effect on the future like physical and uh, psychological health of players, even if they don't continue on to college or NFL, it's just that the NFL players is like the extreme examples, uh, CTE, for example. Mm. Uh, but like that, that, in general, there needs to be some change in the culture of how this game is played. Uh, if if we think that player safety is paramount, which presumably most of us think is true. Yeah, no, of course. So I'd say like we'll probably see a lot of analysis over the next week or two about this, and probably some follow up in the off season over potential proposals to make it safer and to deal with this so we'll follow up with those as they as they arise during the off season um i suppose two quick follow-ups on pieces that we spoke about beforehand uh earlier on in the season san diego are now staying for the next season in san diego or rather the chargers are staying in san diego uh this is probably just a move to leverage some money out of them see how the fans will react given that they tried to burn every available bridge they could find and also it means they'll definitely keep rivers for one more year because he wasn't mad about moving either um like just to be clear they haven't said no to la yet officially so the raiders have not been given an option of taking up residency with the rams there the raiders have said that they would and i'm going to quote this pounce on san diego if the chargers left uh so you know if, if san diego loses the chargers they might get a slightly more exciting team in oakland uh but the raiders are also looking at vegas uh Vegas has said they'd want them. Apparently, the owners aren't mad on the idea of it being anywhere near Vegas. They, for some reason, really don't like the connection between gambling and American football (laughs) at all, even though it's very clear that it exists. Um, Are we surprised by this development? Well, a little bit, in some ways. I mean, it is unsurprising, given what we've mentioned before and yourself said before about the whole... Uh, situation with them not particularly wanting to be wanting to be find themselves in Inglewood, surrounded by land owned by the Rams, that they want the development opportunity themselves. Now, 
They have mitigated that somewhat, and they still have an out regarding, obviously, the San Diego situation. They've bought some land in Orange County that they plan on turning into uh, trading facilities and then presumably surrounding developments as well. So you can see they're clearly following the interest there. Um, yeah, it is a weird one that they went so hard against the city of San Diego and then have sort of turned around and been like, ah, time to get back behind us, guys. You've got another season to go. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's fill the stadium because we were doing that before and now we definitely will now that you all hate us. So, yeah, it seems like they're trying to have their cake and eat it and in the end, like, just flirting around, not really... Like, it's difficult to... I think they've basically got put themselves in a difficult situation and kind of this is all they can do. Because, you know, they can't really commit to... They don't really want to commit to uh, a, essentially a Rams-dominated LA situation, but they also don't really want to stay in San Diego. So they're waiting yeah. out for a year, I think, to just sort of see what way the wind is blowing. That's it. And I suppose there's also the element of, like, they, they, they'd also just have to find an interim location and, like, it would be a pain in the arse. They wouldn't actually be moving for another year anyway into their stadium, so God knows where they'd be. What about yourself, Ronan? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, like... Um... Like I would probably agree mostly with that. Like I think it's a tough situation, but as 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 we mentioned, like the Inglewood Stadium won't be up and running for a couple of years, so there's no point in two teams trying to share with the same stadium or trying to make a a part time arrangement. Mm. Like it's probably easiest to stay where you are. Uh, well, for the moment, they can't make a part-time arrangement because I think uh, the Rams are going to play in the Rose Bowl, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. and the Rose Bowl so, have said they'll only take one team. That's Pasadena, is it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. It's, so the, it's the place that they sent the Super Bowl after... It was meant to be held in, I think it was Arizona. And then they made it dependent on Arizona recognizing uh, some type of holiday to do with black people. And Arizona wouldn't, so they took it off them uh, and put it in the Rose Bowl instead. We'll cut that if it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it was that the, the governor refused to recognise Martin Luther King Day, and the NFL, in a surprising move of social consciousness, decided that was like super racist. So it took the Super Bowl off them and put it in the Rose Bowl instead. What, what year was that? ninety uh, something. Run. Ninety three, I believe. Nineteen ninety three. Like that was that. Well, that was the year that they 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 vetoed it. I think the actual like Arizona refusing to do it was in the eighties, but yeah. They didn't do anything until the Super Bowl said they had to do something. <laughs> okay, right. They didn't actually relent at that point either. But. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that was interesting. So that's where that's where the LA Rams are going to be playing. So side note, um, there's uh, another piece of development on something that we've mentioned a couple of times. Our fabulous friend uh, Billy Baseball or uh, Johnny Football, as he's known, the Cleveland Browns have come out with a statement on the. Uh, Johnny Manziel situation, uh, which is quite clear in what it means. Goodbye, Johnny. Uh, we've been clear about our... Uh, this comes from Sashi Brown, by the way. Uh, we've been clear about our expectations for our players on and off the field. Johnny's continued involvement in incidents that run counter to those expectations undermines the hard work of his teammates and the reputation of our organisation. His status with our team will be addressed when permitted by league rules. We will have no further comment at this time. So that's basically, they're just waiting the two or three weeks they need to wait until they can fire him, right? Yeah. He'll fit in well in Dallas. Yeah. Especially with what we've heard about him having some kind of issue with his girlfriend. That sounds like exactly the kind of person that Jerry Jones likes to hire in the off season. God. Allegedly. 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 Um, Now on to the main part. uh, Me and Ronan's favourite part and Harry's absolute favourite part. On On to the Pro Bowl. The greatest game of football that is ever played. Every single year, I think, how can it get better? And it does. 
I just don't know how it happens. Make it stop. Team Rice took on Team Irvin in a 27 to 49 total domination. To be honest, though, this this is a game that was lost at the draft. Uh, Team Irvin drafted significantly better than Team Rice did. Uh, although that said, if it was an actual game of football, it would have been a much more interesting game. Rice needs to understand when he's drafting for the Pro Bowl, don't pick good defensive players early in lieu of offensive players. You don't play defense in a Pro Bowl. What were your personal favorite? I got a question for you, uh, Harry, because I know you're an avid fan, but you missed it this year. Um <laughs> Alan Robinson, please explain to me how this happened. Alan Robinson has two catches on the day for 105 yards and a touchdown, but he also had a long of 50. What? He has two, two catches, catches for 105 yards and his long <laughs> is 50. <laughs> a fumble? No, it's uh, it's because laterals count for yards but not receptions. <laughs> what? Hey, pro so bowl! So technically I was right, so lateral is a fumble. No, no, because it doesn't have to be fumble, it can be passed. It's a backwards pass as well. It doesn't have to be recovered off the ground. A fumble is one that goes onto the ground, I believe. Um, my other personal favourite... A fumble doesn't need to hit the ground, does it? Richard, Richard, Sherman's, uh, Richard Sherman's one rush for negative 22 yards. I, I did actually see that highlight. That was, that was phenomenal. It also burnt like 20 out, seconds. Out of the whole fiasco that is the Pro Bowl... Um, there were two things, both Richard Sherman related, that gave me great joy that I was catching up on the clips because apparently I had to talk about it today. One of them was Sherman's yeah negative twenty two yard rush, which was just oh, aren't words. So Tyron Taylor's attempt to block on it as well. We took out Eric Berry. It was great. <laughs> like, what is this game? But the other was greatest when, game ever. The other was when Richard Sherman like just ran up to Clay Matthews and tried to RKO. Oh him. yeah, the wrestling move, <laughs> or was it a Stone Cold Stunner? I I don't know, but it was like if you're gonna do that, Richard. Hit it! <laughs> don't let him off. I don't want to see that man standing. I want to see Clay Matthews on the ground, writhing. So, what was your what was your favorite bit, Ronan? Uh, I quite enjoyed uh, the Michael Bennett deciding to do a dance in the end zone with the mascots for no particular. Oh reason. yeah, yeah. Like Michael Bennett just seems to be like, well, we all know he's a bit uh, interesting, um, but you know he tries to take it to new levels in this game. In terms of the actual plays. You know, you gotta love a you gotta love a fake punt uh, throw, especially because it was to uh, Tyler Lockett, who then was giving shit to Richard Sherman at the end of the game, saying that he'd beaten him down or whatever like that. <laughs> oh so, yeah, yeah. Adrian Peterson five carries for four yards. Pro Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but look, hey, this, this is what you have to understand. This is the greatest game. This is the best players playing in superstar teams, coached by ex superstars. There was 960 yards of offense, 9 turnovers, and 11 touchdowns in this game. It was phenomenal. It's just like they never graduated from college. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, also, except for Russell Wilson, who took it seriously. Like, yeah. Of course he did. Good God, Russell Wilson. Go, Dave Irvin. Oh. <laughs> good God. I'm just so happy to be here with so many good competitors. Go, Irvin. <laughs> oh, Pro Bowl's amazing. I want Pro Bowl next week. Can we yeah, not watch the Super Bowl and instead just watch Pro Bowl? Bring back the skills challenges. That's what I that say. would be fun. Uh, interestingly, be fun. this takes us to our questions from the listeners. So this kind of ties in directly to what Harry was asking. I've got a question from Michael, uh, Panthers fan. He says, uh, how can we make the Pro Bowl relevant again? Um, so I think, and Ronan thinks, I believe, that Michael, you're a fucking moron. Uh, the Pro Bowl is phenomenal. Ronan? Yeah, I think you're wrong. Uh, I think the premise of your question is wrong. And I think that 
you need to watch more Pro Bowl. I think if you watch the Pro Bowl backwards, like if you rewind it before your eyes and then watch it back forwards, then you will see the true magic and throughput of seeing the Pro Bowl inside. That's true, that's true. I think the one way to make it more relevant is that if you get voted to the Pro Bowl, you're not allowed to play in the Super Bowl, you have to play in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, like, what is the, what's the issue with all these, like, Jags and Lions and Browns players who are like, oh, I don't get to play in January. You get to play in the Pro Bowl. Why would you want to play in any other game? I think if you get selected to the Pro Bowl and you pussy out because you've got an injury, you get treated like a racehorse and you get shot dead. Well, I think that's true anyway. But... <laughs> <laughs> what you, about you, Harry? What are, do you think? Are you guys high or something? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Michael, that's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. The Pro Bowl is not relevant. The Pro Bowl has never been relevant. And the Pro Bowl has never been less relevant than it is right now. This is where... at least back then it used to have a mask of some kind of AFC versus NFC nonsense. And now it's just a bunch of, like, guys having fun. Which is, you know, it's fun, but it's not relevant. And it's also often really, really poor football. This is what Michael actually suggested himself as well. He liked it when it was AFC versus NFC. So you could actually pretend it was relevant. Um... Illusion. Isn't that what the Super Bowl is for anyway? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, since you've claimed this is more important than the Super Bowl, clearly you should want to go back to AFC versus NFC. I believe the the uh, the suggestion from Dave Damashek, who's like a... Oh, the NFL uh, guy, yeah. For the NFL.com. Uh, yeah, uh, Ronan Fitzpatrick has to explain to the world who Dave Damashek is. He's kind of small, small fry, fry, like, small yeah. fry in this podcast game, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But for those who don't listen to NFL podcasts on a regular basis, um, his suggestion effectively is that the two worst teams in this in this, this year, that would be the Titans and the Browns, should play each other for the number one pick. Like I love a the quarter- idea. I love the idea that there's going to be a there's going to be a, like a quarterback there who's playing, and if he wins and his team gets the number one pick, he loses his job. Like, what's his incentive? Well, they could just replace him with the backup and just see what happens. Yeah, mm, I back up and play the starter like, for the yeah. Why would I? Just, I just don't know why anyone would want to watch Cleveland play again this season. It's or the Zach Mettenberger led Titans. It's just been a parade of misery. What about what they used to do um, back in the day, where they take the top college team and put them against the worst NFL team? That would be a massacre. Like you do not understand how badly college teams can play defense. That wouldn't be fun to watch. Hmm. Like, but you bear in mind the, the NFL, you know, the NFL is made from the elite of the elite of all the college players. You could put Alabama or whoever in there, and they would get butchered by the Titans. Yeah, but Harry, like, like that's a legitimate Tennessee. point. Tennessee. <laughs> that's a legitimate point, perhaps for you, but for us, for the Pro Bowl, is amazing. That doesn't really make too much sense. Like, if you think... I just want to see a have... tackle! What? I just want to see a tackle. Isn't that why you're following all the crossdressers on Instagram? It's drag queens. <laughs> drag queens, not crossdressers. They're fucking drag queens. Oh, man. sorry, it's drag queens, my mistake. Yeah, they're better dressed than you. Well, yeah, probably. They're probably a lot better wearing heels as well. <laughs> like, Get up your game, man. Yeah, I will, I will. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Michael. It's hard to get behind it because, like, who do you pick? Both teams are amazing. The only way it could be better is there was more kickers. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I could get behind that if every team just sent their punter. 
Like, maybe the long snapper should play quarterback. Yeah, they also they like throw it backwards. <laughs> How about they get a chance to throw forwards? Yeah, yeah. Like, they, someone snaps a ball to them, but they've got their arse to the person who has the <laughs> ball. They catch it and they have to try and long snap it over the offensive line to pass it to someone. Yeah, look, I think if, if nobody's going to play defense in these things, why not just send all crazy players actually that's, that's one weird, thing that like. I would change is that uh, they seem to go a bit soft on the defence at the end like I want to see someone straight up murdered at the end of one of those games I think I think um, a few years back Joe Hayden did decleat funny enough Josh Gordon um, which was <laughs> Cleveland I don't know what a fabulous combination <laughs> Josh Gordon didn't remember it's fine <laughs> <laughs> no he's not Wes Welker oh god maybe Wes Welker thinks he's Josh <laughs> Not sure if concussion joke or illegal substances joke. That little girl in the Mexican food ad that we're definitely going to see during the Super Bowl. Why not both? (laughs) (laughs) That's Wes Walker's career in a nutshell, isn't it? Oh, God, a broken nutshell. (laughs) What? What? I think there's going to be a lot of editing for whoever at the end of it. Yeah, me. Yeah, it's me. Ah, no, I think we put most of this in. Like, if people make it this far, they like it enough to put up with this shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, 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 just half an hour of Wes Welcome jokes, okay. Yeah, yeah why, why, why the fuck not? Um, so, suppose uh, the next most important one. Uh, did you guys look at the rosters for the Puppy Bowl? It looks like it's shaping up to be a very interesting event. I'm only taking the piss. We're not actually going to discuss. I'm perfectly happy to discuss the Puppy Bowl. If we just spent this long talking about the Pro Bowl, why not? Like again, same level of defense is going to be in both events. Yeah. So the main question we asked this earlier: Are you happy with the fact that Michael Vick is going to be coaching Team Fluffy? <laughs> They're going to tear the opposition to shreds, man. Oh. He's building a bully. He's building a bully. Apparently, his line coach is Richie Incognito. <laughs> Pro Bowler Richie Incognito. Yeah, we're definitely cutting this out. No, we're not. That's animal, going in. That's animal, going in. animal cruelty jokes do not go down well. That goes in. <laughs> yeah, because I think I believe I believe the teams this year are fluff versus rough. <laughs> also, another interesting fact. Just before we're, we're essentially just now making you all wait until we get to the main event by talking about things increasingly close to it. Did you see what is being arranged by, I believe it's, I can't remember if it's MailChimp or Squarespace. It's one of the ones that sponsors a load of podcasts, but not this one. Um, they have gotten Key and Peel together, uh, who are going to do an alternate commentary for the entirety of the Super Bowl. But, because it is not sanctioned by the NFL... They're not allowed to use any of the names of the players or the teams or directly reference what's happening on screen. So they have to completely euphemistically and with made up names try and maintain like three and a half hours of live commentary. So what you're saying is it's going to be indistinguishable from Phil Simms and Jim Nance anyway. It's going to be amazing. Oh, that sounds God. excellent. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely going to be a messy one. What do you reckon? Should we listen to that when we're uh, when we're watching the uh, the game? I'm not joking. I fucking hate Sims and Nance. Yeah, yeah, we should be. <laughs> we might fire we'll be them. Hearing nothing for during the Super Bowl because there will be lots of non-football people there. Probably. Maybe not. I don't think there's going to be a huge amount. Nice. No, I think we're keeping it keeping it small this year. Yeah, we should have relatively yeah. tight. We'll sure we'll chat about that in a wee bit because we're getting on to the main event. 
The main event this Sunday, Super Bowl 50 is kicking off at 11.30 at night. Uh, so we'll probably have a couple of uh, couple of drinks into us already at that point. As everyone who listens to this hopefully knows. Really sorry if this is the first one you've listened to. Carolina Panthers are taking on the Denver Broncos. Uh, this is going to be a great game. Uh, I suppose, what are we all looking for in a nutshell? What, what What's our initial takeaway? Are you happy about this game? Obviously you're not, your teams aren't in it. My team's not in it. But are we happy about this matchup? What do we feel? I think it's got the potential to be very, very fun. And I think we're going to see you know, two teams with good defense, one team with a very cagey offense, and a team with a very explosive offense. I think it's going to be, it is going to be a good game. It might not be as competitive as we'd like, but I think it's going to be very much dictated as to what happens in the first quarter. But I think it's got the potential to be absolutely fantastic. Fitz? Yeah, like, I think as Harry alluded to, there's somewhat of a worry, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, that this could end up being one-sided. But there's like enough storylines going on here and there's certainly enough competitiveness in both these teams to hope that this could be a really interesting like chess game, basically. Like I don't think it's the kind of game that if it's high scoring we're gonna have a good game, it's probably gonna be pretty one sided in that case, but we could have a pretty intriguing uh tactical game going on here and as we all know, there's perhaps no one better at that type of that that facet of the game than Peyton Manning uh, over the last decade or more at this point. No, of course. Like I said, this is this is two excellent teams going at each other. Broncos, obviously, I don't think are the strongest team in the AFC, but they did play exceptionally well in the last game. They've shown strengths that can match quite well against what this Carolina team brings. But yeah, like I, I also have the same worries that there's potential for a very good tight close game here, but there's also potential for this to get out of hand very quickly. I'm thinking back to that Seahawks uh, Broncos game. And just thinking what happened in that one, uh, and like, I, it wouldn't amaze me entirely if we saw that happen again. But I suppose like the first thing to look at in this will be kind of key matchups we see and where where we're gonna have to see push versus uh, strength versus strength and things like that. Um, like I suppose when we're looking at the Denver offense, because. We obviously know that's going to be limited because of Peyton Manning not having the arm that he used to have. Uh, they'll need to do a lot to kind of like establish the run. I think a big key element is going to be able to get play action going early, get the run so that they can give themselves a bit more time to take shots and assess the field. I was looking at their wide receivers and how they're going to match up, and I think this is going to be key because especially if we're going to be looking at kind of intermediate routes, kind of crossing routes, not trying to push the ball too far outside the hash and stuff, it's all going to come down to coverage and who can do that the best. So we're probably going to have Norman on Thomas for most of the night. Uh, now, he doesn't really move that much, but like as long as Thomas isn't playing out of the slot for a lot of this, then we're probably going to see Norman versus Thomas for the mainstay of the night. And I think that's one that Norman either wins or it's a push between them. So I think it's going to come down to like Sanders and him running against the rest of that secondary, be it Finnegan, be it McLean, be it whoever. And like I think that's where they're going to be able to find their separation because this is a team, this is a defense is going to have to decide basically, are they going to cover Sanders or are they going to cover Owen Daniels? And I think that's where it's going to be rather than at the number one receiver spot where you'd normally see that. I think it's going to be at the kind of tight end versus secondary receiver both crossing over the middle and who's going to cover who like I see that as being a very very important matchup if Denver want to get stuff going early on if they want to have a success moving a ball against this Carolina defense yeah, yeah but the problem with Sanders is that obviously he's more of a, a deep threat usually or that's where he's at his strongest and for that to take most advantage of that you need Peyton to have a bit of time in the pocket like you you can try and slice and dice them but this is a 
Panthers defense, which is very good with their tackling technique, which is very good at stopping yards after the catch. So you're going to either going to have to be incredibly precise. And of course, Peyton Manning could be capable of that. And he is intelligent enough to do that. But you would hope to have a bit more, uh, a bit more after that. I think like Peyton Manning is going to have to take a few shots down the field just to keep that defense honest and to ensure that he actually has enough time to make sure that that play action works. Play action doesn't really work if the defense is in the in basically in the backfield before you have any time to get him off. Yeah. So I think for me, like it's really about can that like the dev row line is a bit weaker than it has been, and it has a few pieces like Evan Mattis who haven't been there all season. And like it, Peyton needs to get a bit of time, and that run game does need to be established. But I do think that Peyton is going to have to take advantage of where the biggest weakness is on this Panthers defense due to injury, which is in that secondary, uh, with the exception of Josh Norman. Like those safeties aren't very good. Like Randy Harper is a player coming towards the end of his end of his career. Cortland Finnegan is someone who has brought in. Like they've done well with what like that better than they should have been expected to do. But you really do need to test them where they're weak. And to do that, uh, he's going to have to take a few like like you know deep enough shots. You know, deep for Peyton Manning, which is beyond like 10, 15 yards. Yeah, yeah. I actually it's interesting. I I agree with what Fitz is saying about how what Denver sort of need to try to do in this situation. And actually, that's the reason that I disagree with your analysis, Connor, about how Carolina are going to play this. I think you put Norman on Sanders. Um, I think you put Norman on Sanders because he actually is, at the moment, going to be that primary receiving threat for Denver. Even though he is kind of a speed guy, a deep ball guy, which isn't necessarily the strength of Manning's game right now, he is the most dangerous receiver on that team. And he's a guy who, if he gets the ball in his hands, can hurt you. Thomas has been struggling a bit recently. We saw uh, Logan Ryan shut him down over uh, over the last week. So what I think they're actually going to do is I think Norman goes to Sanders and then Thomas, particularly designing part of the slot, you have a slot corner. You also have Shaq Thompson, the rookie linebacker, who did a great job covering Larry Fitzgerald when he played out of the slot last week, um, or two weeks ago, rather, sorry. You then have him covering either Daniels or uh, or Thomas, depending on the formation they run, plus uh, Finnegan and McLean and, and all that coming back. Uh, so, yeah, like it's going to be... Interesting to see how the defense aligns and who covers who, because I think that's going to have to dictate how Denver play. Yeah, no, 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 of course. Like, well, like all of that's irrelevant if the O line doesn't hold up and like K one short and Starling Tuley are in the backfield all day. Yeah, it's, it's always irrelevant against the, the Seahawks hold up and the Arizona Cardinals, and both their matchups for a significant part of the game. Surely, though, the interesting thing here is that like th- that yes, there are weaknesses on that on that O line, but they tend to be at the tackle zones, and it's more kind of interior pressure that the Carolina Panthers have been bringing and having so much success with recently it's not been their outside pass rush it's been their inside pass rush so that's going to be strength versus strength rather than being able to like we say a tackle who's coming back from injury sitting there on what we consider to be weaker outside protection like that's not where Carolina excel at getting the pass rush from yeah that's very true uh, so it is there. There's obviously. I mean, it's always a, does the O-line hold up is always a factor. I think that's actually a concern on the other side. As well, and I think yeah. that's where it's going to be interesting. <laughs> that's that's the next matchup <laughs> that I've got written down here for us to have a look at. That's going to be because again, well, actually, sorry, almost in the opposite way. This is more of an outside move than an inside move here, where it's going to be Ware and Miller versus kind of probably like Michael Orr and Remmers probably. So like yeah. where. We've all seen the blind side, right? It's an alright film. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm not sure if Big Mike's got it in him to take on. Now, where Miller looked phenomenal in the last game against the Patriots, right? We were actually looking at some analysis uh, done online that actually the centre was giving away the snap count the whole time by mistake in that game, which allowed them to get that 
extremely quick move and kind of jumping snap counts all the time. Do we think Michael Orr and Remmers are going to be able to hold up against Ware and Miller realistically in this game? Yeah, like it's interesting because what you said about Denver is also true of Carolina in that the strength on the O-line is on the interior and guys like... Uh, uh, Try Turner and uh, and uh, what's his name? Khalil, sorry, Khalil, the center. Yeah, are the are the star players on that line? Like you say, Remmers has been Remmers has been okay in Ours. Well, I mean, look, yeah. he's got to the Super he's, Bowl. He's, play, he's, play, he's playing well. He's this playing year. solidly, but he's mm-hmm. not a he's not a world beater. So yeah, Jason like, Worlds. Look, Cam's mobility is going to be important in this game. Yeah, and I suppose that's the useful thing for Carolina is they have that out if they're struggling to contain that edge rush. Yeah, you've got a guy who can a get outside and b also is capable of stepping up in the pocket. Yeah, no, of course. So that I think gives them a bit of an edge versus Denver. Whereas if Denver can't hold up, Manning's mm-hmm. mobility is relatively limited. <laughs> That's the nicest I've ever yeah, heard of a Yeah, you, see, you say that, but then, then hey, there's that play against the Patriots where he outran Jamie fucking Collins. <laughs> yeah. God. But yeah, no, so the, I think that sort of is something that tips that comparative in Carolina's favour. Yeah, I think I think there is also, there's an element to the way that Denver rushed as, against the Patriots was that kind of quick outside pressure, just, just hassle pressure stuff. And like, that's fine if you're just trying to disrupt... But if you're kind of pursuing like that, you leave lanes open oh, yeah. for someone like Cam. So they're going to have to do a much more kind of considered pocket push rather than a, like, get pressure in the face, try and make them throw off beat. Because he doesn't have to just throw the ball in this scenario. And he's got, you know, he's got Olsen as, a, as an option coming out of the bat that's always steady pair of hands and normally quite there. He's got people that he can dump off to and he himself can run. It is, it is important as well to note that Greg Olsen is still a very good blocker and particularly towards the end back half of the season was being used more and more in that role. Yeah, no, of course. So he can definitely help out if they need to run a bigger line. Like, yeah, it's, so, like for me, it, like, it's going to be vitally important that Denver gets some pressure up the middle. Like, as you say, that's where the Carolinas O-line has probably been strongest. Yeah. But you need to see players like Derek Wolf actually like collapse that pocket on a semi-regular basis because otherwise as you say like the two Edward are gonna like they, they'll probably have a tendency to over pursue and leave those lanes open to Newton that's not as much of an issue if he's been pushed back by the internal inside pressure yeah like I think that like that's essential you need to keep Nat Cam Newton in the pocket you need to keep him contained you need to set the edge because otherwise he's gonna run right through you and get yards with his legs like like Cam Newton, for all the amazing tons of things he's done to the Heat this year, and the way that he complements the run game is amazing, is still by you know NFL quarterback standards probably not the best pocket passer. Like he's got amazing, you know, cannon of an arm, and he can do it when he needs to. But under pressure in the pocket, he's not going to be like a like a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady. He still has some faults there. Obviously, the rest of the game more makes up for that. But that is somewhere we can get him. Like he still only has. Uh, an overall accuracy this season of around 60%, which is good numbers, but not elite numbers. So I think as, as the Broncos, you need to be disciplined. You can't over-pursue. You need to keep that pocket, and you need to start collapsing that pocket around them rather than trying to get around, like trying to like get around the edge and try to get them behind. No, of course, of course. And you were saying there, uh, Harry, like how important do you think Greg Olson is to this game plan uh because, like we said, he's a multifaceted tight end, and he's kind of a bit of a—he's almost a safety blanket as well as a brick wall for Cam Newton sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be important. I mean, we saw Denver have a bit of trouble with Gronkowski, obviously uh, beforehand. Although I mean, <laughs> a bit of tr- 144 yards <laughs> of trouble, <laughs> couple of touchdowns. But um, <laughs> that's Gronkowski. I mean, Gray Olson's very good, but he's no—he's no Rob Gronkowski. 
Um, his versatility is going to be important. It's like if, to, again, if you know Denver get the best case scenario, if you get that pressure on the edge, and if you get, as Ronan was saying, both uh, Derek Wolf and uh, Malik Jackson collapsing that pocket on a regular basis, how they implement Olsen is going to be critical. Because again, he's that guy who can shore up the line, particularly in short yardage and particularly in short yardage and goal line situations. Um, but also is that, again, guy who can run the short routes, intermediate routes, long route, deep routes if needed, but is a guy who provides that sort of safety blanket. So it's going to be interesting to see what Denver do to try and take take that away. Um, they're going to obviously, you know, it's difficult to know how much they're going to have to worry about Carolina's wide receivers because it can be a little bit inconsistent at times, mm. as, as we know, and limited in some in some facets, but uh, certainly very good at other, other facets of the game. Olsen is the is is the one person who brings something different to that passing offense, so it's going to be quite important. And also, I suppose, as a blocker in the run game, is also going to be quite important. So, mm-hmm. how well he plays and how Denver factor in um, dealing with him is going to be basically it's going to be interesting to see who draws that assignment. Yeah, I was going to say because that's that's the one thing I think is going to be very important with Olsen. If they kind of see him as being that multifaceted threat, like he can either pull out and be a blocker for the run game for sure, but he can also just move through and take a linebacker out of the way in coverage like because they're going to have to have a linebacker assigned to coverage if they see Olsen going on a route um, so yeah like there's there's a lot that he can bring to a couple of different kind of phases of the game essentially uh, which I think is going to be very important to this uh, do we think that Cam Newton's going to be able to run like he has during the season or do we think this is something because we've seen we've seen very good defensive game plans coming out of Denver this season when they have time to consider how the opposition plays. Do we think they're going to be able to scheme their way around a mobile Cam Newton? Uh, I think like they will, but it will also like mean there'll be less flash plays. Like, I'm not sure if they have the personnel that is ideal for this situation necessarily, but I think that they like in Wade Phillips they have an incredibly uh, they have incredibly uh, effective. The coordinator who's done like really good things this season with, with a very talented group, but like for me, they do need to stop Jonathan Stewart as well. Like the biggest problem with the Panthers' uh, run offense is that it's so varied, that it's so exotic, and that like like the difference I think that we saw from the Panthers at the end of the season, the regular season when they seemed to be a bit off, relatively speaking, versus what we've seen in the playoffs, has seems to have been Jonathan Stewart. So even if you do have like a spy trying to stop Cam Newton, like, if that player is, like, not in the box and not being as effective in run plays, you're going to have issues because Jonathan Stewart has shown that he's a really effective uh, runner in these playoffs. So, I, like, uh, like if anyone can do it, it'll be Denver, but it's such a tough, tough situation to try and make something out of, I think. Well, that's uh, it. Like, we've got the number one offense taking on the number one defense here now. It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see who who breaks first. Essentially, <laughs> who blinks first might be a better term. Now, with that kind of talk of it being the number one defense versus the number one offense, there's obviously chats about Peyton Manning. This is almost certainly we referenced it earlier. His last game, he's been kind of turning up with lots of extended family members for sad looking photos at the end of games and he's mentioned to a couple of people now, uh, according to reports, that this is probably the the. What's it? The 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 sheriff's last rodeo. I didn't think sheriffs did rodeos. To be honest, I thought it was more <laughs> bull riders. Uh, but I don't really understand cowboys. To when be did honest. Peyton become the sheriff? Because John Gruden used to call Navarro Bowman the sheriff. Like, I'm, I'm confused. Apparently, uh, he's been called the sheriff for a while. I just called him prick. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Pepe, Pepe, come on. <laughs> Pepe five head. <laughs> 
But uh, what was it that kissing Susie Colby used to call him fetus head, right? Oh god, yeah. Jesus, um, harsh. Do we do we think give like obviously it would be good for his legacy to win another Super Bowl? Might shut up some of the like, but people who just point out the fact that he loses a lot in the postseason. Shut up, me, basically. But like, yeah. uh, but like given that this is now where he didn't really bring them to this point, like Brock Osweiler went five and two when he was under center for them to get them far. Peyton Manning was a fecking liability for most of the season. He's been a bit better in the in the postseason, but not fantastically so. He's essentially just been protected and hidden away by this defense. So when people say, how will this affect his legacy? I know from my perspective, I look and go, I don't think it really affects it either way in my head because I don't see this as being a game that will be won or lost by Peyton Manning. Uh, I see it as being... Well, it could being... be lost by Peyton Manning. Yeah, it could be lost <laughs> by him, yeah. It's certainly not one's not going to be won by him. But, like, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure he's pretty solid in his legacy anyway as it stands. What do you reckon yourselves, guys? Yeah, like, on the one sense, his legacy is already going to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, I don't think that's ever really been in dispute. But, you know, I think, you know yourself, like, yeah, okay, like you said, Manning didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily the critical factor in making this happen but you know full well that's not how it works you know that's not going to necessarily be remembered 10-15 years down the line what's going to be remembered it will, is Peyton it will, it will be when Brock Osweiler is in the Hall of Fame <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean it's not necessarily to be remembered Peyton Manning won a second Super Bowl and I think what it does is it his legacy is secure but I think it just adds another and Peyton's all about these another little shiny bauble onto it of mm. being like won as many Super Bowls as Eli yeah so, shuts, shuts his brother up yeah exactly what about yourself Fitz yeah like I think you know, no matter what you say about all the records and stuff like that, and Peyton Manning will be uh, seen as a great quarterback. There will, there are still asterisks there, and I think, like with with the past, do you mean, do you mean time, the HGH habits, stuff? Allegedly, the HGH allegedly. stuff. Allegedly, the HGH stuff. <laughs> allegedly, not, not from that perspective. I just mean in terms of his postseason record, mostly. Allegedly, uh, like I think <laughs> <laughs> postseason record. Allegedly, I think in terms of um, his legacy. I think just having that second ring kind of moves you from being uh, like really, really, really good. I don't know, like probably like you're a Hall of Famer anyway, because you just have to be the Hall of Fame. But that people can say definitively that he was like the like one of the best of his generation. Like you could like you can make up like he like you, there's lots of reasons that you can say why he like was one of the best anyway. But if he has two rings, I think that just becomes you don't have to make those excuses anymore. It's just self-evident, effectively. Like, any quarterback who has two Super Bowl rings is going to be automatically get, like, a veneer of invincibility. Like, Eli will probably get much more credit than he probably deserves for his, like, uh, for his uh, career just because he has two Super Bowl rings. It gives you that kind of aura of invincibility. So I think it'll just be useful for him uh, to kind of, like, cement that and, like, get rid of the haters, basically. Plus, you know, everyone likes a good story, and this will be a good story, so... Like basically in the same way Elway got his two rings uh, at the end of his career. It's just a nice way to like finish up and kind of like tie a bow on it and everyone go hooray. Yeah, genuine questioner. Like presumably Peyton is going into the Colts Ring of Honor, right? Is he's also going to go into the Denver Ring of Honor? Can you be in two? Is that okay? I would imagine so. Like, I'm sure there's no, like, there's no regulation around I think, it, but like... <laughs> I think off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Vince Lombardi is in multiple teams' ring of honours. Because I know he flitted around a bit after Green Bay. Yeah. And they all just like Brett Favre, that famous Vikings quarterback. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah it actually, <laughs> actually went to bat as well for Lombardi because I think I think it's Washington. I think have Lombardi in their Ring of Honor. Yeah, he went there, there, yeah. there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously it's one of some of that some of that to rub off. No, of course, of course. So then we've got we've got we've got the obviously the most important thing about this game, uh, the cold play at halftime. Uh, everyone's pretty pissed off by that, right? Mm. Boo, cold play. It's gonna be boring as fucking balls, isn't it? Featuring Beyonce, featuring which, Bruno Mars, probably. Yes, Beyonce and Bruno, uh, which will probably make it a bit better. Hopefully it just means that they just like turf Coldplay off the stage for a while. <laughs> um, they're also, because they're doing past and future acts as well. So I don't know what the future acts is going to be. Like I'm presuming it's going to be like children's choirs or some shit. They're like, any one of you could be a superstar singer and play at Super Bowl 70 or something like that. <laughs> like... Yeah, the halftime show, I'm just like... Because the thing is, even with the halftime shows, you also get the kind of like... There's normally a bit of crack around them, like, but it's like Katy Perry had all the, the shit going on, the fireworks. Left Shark. And left, left Shark. And all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then, like, like Bruce Springsteen had the crotch slide across the stage where he broke a camera. That was amazing. Um, like, the fuck are Coldplay going to do? I just remember Madonna's Hall Illuminati shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, like, it's just uh, Janet Jackson's tits. <laughs> <laughs> well, tits. Tits, yeah, tits. Um, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. I always bedazzle my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> this this could be the worst Super Bowl halftime show since the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, good God, and that, that was, was awful. something else. Like That, that was, was truly horrifying. Yeah. There's now a video up on NFL Network of... God. Groups of children from localities that won Super Bowls. For, sorry, from like nine months after the... Whose birthdays are nine or ten months after Super Bowls were won in those areas. And it's basically them all singing with Seal, uh, who you'll remember from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Singing about the fact that they're Super Bowl babies and that... Their parents got drunk, watched the Super Bowl, and then rode the rode the hole off each other, and then they are the result of that. And they've literally got just different groups of different teams, fans who were born nine to ten months after the Super Bowl, singing about it. Like it's the weirdest fucking thing I've seen in a long, long time. I thought it was appropriate because the Seattle ones were just a bunch of screaming babies. Yeah, it was <laughs> <gas>. <laughs> we don't want Cam Newton in our stadium. That's our stadium. <laughs> I don't want to play with the flags. <laughs> I think the one thing is that like it's it's tough for for the players themselves when these news stories come up. Like Cam has been dealing with all of these news stories all year about the woman com- like oh what about the children with his dancing and his you know incredible charity by giving you know the game balls to actual kids and his you know ridiculousness. Like, he does not go down well with the parents from Footloose. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's tough for him, and he kind of basically said that it was that don't like a lot of these stories are just racism, but like basically that he like he's like uh, making a path based for like African American quarterbacks, yeah, and then has kind of like gone back. No, I meant like running quarterbacks. Yeah. Obviously, that's who I was referring to. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very different, very not racist, because like from a commercial point of view, I'm sure there's plenty of people advising him telling him, you know. Don't piss off all the white people. Lots of like old white people. Lots of them are racist, but lots of them also like football. Also, money, surpri- money, money. surprisingly large amounts of them run the NFL. <laughs> 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 I was the team on Washington call again. 
Listen to this thing. This one. The Washington safe spaces. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Ron actually raises a really interesting point there. It's like what Cam Newton does, and this is part of the reason that even in this day and age, you still have all that from straight up racism to the pearl clutching of the Charlotte Observer letters to the editor like mm. your, your woman with the dancing or the guy who wrote him recently being like oh if he's so charged with the footballs why doesn't he just keep them for himself and then auction them for charity oh, oh did you did you see the real one the, the, the privilege check one where someone wrote and was complaining I can't remember where I heard about this was complaining that he hands them to the kids at the front and only they're, they're, they're expensive seats so he's like totally rich privilege and he should throw them into the stands so poor kids can get them as well so, aside from that being what uh, you, you, they, you they, the price of an NFL ticket? There are no ports. Yeah. <laughs> the author also doesn't realize that all the kids sort of rush down to the front of the thing. But yeah. what Cam Newton has done um, is kind of, I suppose, it's the sort of thing to an extent you have with the guy. I, it's obviously different from Terrell Owens in a lot, in, in a lot of facets, but mm. it's a similar kind of thing. Is that there are not to get too heavy with this? There are sort of traditionally have been acceptable behaviors for African American athletes to adhere to, particularly in football. It's different when you're sort of an ex- expectation with wide receivers because those guys get, and it's not fair, they're, they're divas, they're what have you, so people are kind of like whatever. But the quarterback who's meant to be a, a leader and a general and all these military analogies implying discipline and correct behaviors. What Cam Newton does is Cam Newton does not act like a black athlete is supposed, in inverted commas, supposed to act. And that's what I think is making so many people run to these weird quasi-racist things because they don't expect this behavior from a black guy, because he's meant to be more proper than proper to prove that he's not a thug. And because the guy goes out and, which is obviously a ridiculous burden, but the guy goes out and he enjoys himself, he is who he is, he's, by all accounts, like a really genuine guy, uh, who's a really good guy as well. Yeah. And there's a, well, he once stole a laptop, oh, oh, what a criminal, because they need to have that image of either you are a saintly black athlete or you are a thug and there doesn't Cam Newton is try, is and is going to and this is, is moving in a good direction is changing that by just being himself but yeah. that's where I think a lot of the pushback is coming from oh it is it's, it's, it's that thing of there seems to be a sense of well if he's going to play a non-traditional role for a black athlete he has to basically kind of do what we want him to do he has to play up to our standard he has to do it the way yeah do it the way that we want it no. to be done Whereas, like, he just he just doesn't give a fuck, and that's the right way to do it. It's just, look, I'm good at my job, I enjoy doing this, we're going to play, we're going to have fun, I'm going to give game balls to kids because I know where I came from, I'm going to dance because I'm happy when I score a fucking touchdown. Like, you wouldn't hear this crap about anyone. Did you see, what's his name, Erlacher, the, oh, the middle linebacker from, like... Chicago from Chicago like good god like the guy was a good defensive player but he just he's just a prick like isn't he he was going on about how like oh he doesn't like how Cam celebrates he much prefers how white quarterbacks celebrate and stuff and that they're much more uh, much more like that's how you do it like a man you don't jump around and put it in people's faces and he's like no they do they go yeah and he's like Peyton Manning doesn't run down into the end zone and go jump around. It's like, it's because Peyton Manning can't run down to a fucking end zone and jump around. Because <laughs> you ever seen Tom Brady react? Yeah. After a Actually, this is... Because you ever Brady. Tom, Tom Brady caught a fucking touchdown? <laughs> like, did you know uh, Tom... And you find this video. Tom Brady wants... Tom Brady wants juked out Brian Erlacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Now, Erlacher is one of those people, and he is that... Like, it's obviously he's, he's like that like media provocation, but Erlacher is a, an idiot. He's actually an idiot. We've chatted quite a bit about the game. Is there anything else you'd like to cover off before we kind of go towards final predictions? I haven't talked about special teams. That's true. <laughs> both have both have quite good uh, 
punters. Both have quite good kickers. Who does the returns? Ted Ginn for Carlisle. Sometimes yeah. Joe Webb. But who's doing them for the Broncos? Um, is it Anderson hmm. or who is it? I don't think they used last time. I think it's changed a couple of times. Yeah. yeah, they tend to mix it up a bit, don't they? Yeah, fair enough. So, like, I d- but the thing is, right, these are two teams who have good defences, and if they start to falter at all, it's going to become a lot about field position, and there will be elements of that in it. We've seen that happen in other games as well. Like, you look at you look at the, the job that the Denver defence did against the Patriots two weeks ago, and even at that, it came down to the very tail end of the game, and it was only that difficult at the tail end because of the fact that there was a missed kick. Like, this is not a team that has been able to shut people down in the back end. So if, if they do manage to stifle the offense, it's still going to be very much a kind of possessional game, and that will actually play a factor, I think. But the difference is, I don't think it's going to be that easy to stop the Panthers off. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> well, I think we might. What about yourself, Roland? Do you have anything before we move on to our predictions? Yeah, no, like that. That I think we've covered pretty much everything. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, you know, I mean, I thought we were a little bit short in Coldplay analysis, but uh, <laughs> I'll let the slide. I'll let the slide just time we can put it into review. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it. We'll put it into review. Um, Good pitchfork style. Uh, like we'll see. We'll see. Like, I, th- I, th- I think. I think the most the most important thing is. On what songs do people come on and cameo and hop themselves into? And what songs do they transition to the other acts? That's that, that's the most important thing. See, that involves having to identify a Coldplay song, which I'm not sure I can do. No, no you'll recognize them, but you won't care. <laughs> like the Pro Bowl. I'm telling you, there's there's going to be there. They've, Quiet, got, you. they've got they've got one called Viva La Vida. I don't know what it sounds like, but I know that's one of their songs. I know I know Yellow. That's the one that's like, it was all yellow and... I actually can't tell the difference between Travis and Coldplay. I had that for a long time. Yeah. Um, remember Travis? Oh yeah, dun, 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 Yeah, that one. With the, and the one with the fucking lanterns. The one that was the big... Oh, yeah. yeah. That, actually, that one could work well in the stadium. Because that's one that's designed for stadiums. And also probably will be a prop at some point. Because it's all lanterns and them spinning and shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like it's going to be... Boring as balls, but we're probably going to want to stretch our legs and have a bit of curry or chili at that point, so it'll be fine. Ronan, what's your prediction on this one? Uh, Carolina to win. Uh, I'm going to say Tercy 17. Okay. Carolina. Harry? I'm going to say 35 to 24 to Carolina, but with the caveat that some of those Denver points are going to be in garbage time. Yeah, surprisingly, that's quite close to mine. Uh, As I was going to say... I just lost another one. (laughs) (laughs) I have it going at uh, 38 to 27, but I have at least seven of those points coming at the back end where it's out of reach. But I also have at least seven of these points coming uh, from Carolina's defense, if not more. Uh, Because I think they're going to have at least one big play coming out of that defense during the game. So yeah, I suppose that's how we expect it to. Um, I think so. Our plan is that we're gonna have we're gonna have a couple of you guys up from Cork yourself anyway, Ronan, possibly Sean, yeah. uh, a few other ones knocking around for the game. Should be good fun. And then we're going to do a day after cast, uh, yeah. kind of an immediate feedback from the from the <laughs> from the night that was. I'm not sure if that means we're gonna put it out early or not because I don't know if we're gonna be able to that week. We'll be. <laughs> Uh, but we'll try and get it out as quickly as possible for you it's going to be fun oh. the last year one that went very well was we had half the people in the room take ca- uh, 
trucks and the other half take Viagra. Uh, not, 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 not to like one ingests <laughs> trucks and then the other one ingests Viagra. But uh, and then during the ads, whenever a truck ad came on, one half had to drink a, a, a Viagra, the other half to drink. But then the greatest thing happened. I told you this, didn't I? There was a truck Viagra ad. So you know, like that ad for I think it's like the Six Nations or whatever for Heineken, and um, it's the guy and he he kicks his his rugby ball and it bounces all the way yeah. down the town. So, yeah, so it was one of those. There's an old fella about to take himself some some Viagra, and then he drops it and it starts rattling all the way down, and then it bounces down through the town. And there's a fella filling up like a Nissan Micra at the at the power station, pulls the thing out, goes to put it down. The the Viagra bounces. And lands in the gas tank of the car, and it suddenly beefs up into like a Nissan Juke or something. So it's like a Nissan Juke drive around in a throbbing fake erection. Uh, I'm not sure the Juke is the truck, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the um, American ads are so subtle and artful. I, I, I just mm. it's gonna, it's gonna <laughs> understated, be, understated. Gonna we're gonna have to, yeah, we're gonna have to pick a few ones for that. There will probably be a fairly sizable section on the most ridiculous ads that we see during the thing as well. So Fitz, uh, I think it's time to talk about the Pro Bowl again. <laughs> and, uh, on that note. <laughs> no, it's okay. We'll do an entire Pro Bowl episode during the off-season with and just me and you Fitz. you can edit that. And none of you will listen to it. It'll be phenomenal. Do you know why? Because your hearts are broken. You don't understand the beauty that is the Pro Bowl. Uh, I suppose that'll do for now. That's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Fitz. Let's go Carolina! Keep on pounding!